HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. Borders seem to be all over the news lately. You've got trade wars, Brexit, and of course, Trump's wall. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring how borders are created and blurred in the world of food. We try to focus a lot on the fact that they are chefs by nature, uh, that the refugee thing is just a status for them. And after the Soviet space ended, I don't think there was much research. It was all considered just Soviet food or Russian food. And I don't think it gives a lot of those cultures credit. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this journey through culinary history. And, you know, I wonder sometimes how people think they can keep a good thing a secret. Well, a special fermented anchovy sauce has been made in the small village of Chitara on the Amalfi Coast since at least the 13th century. And it was kept a secret, a very well-kept secret, for centuries by the generations of the inhabitants. But come on, it's a new world. Social media and the internet and, and tourism and traffic. Well, as luck would have it, until the 1990s, it was, I mean, it was discovered in the 1990s by others. But prior to that, few people outside the actual village had, knew of the sauce because it really had never been sold. And I'm going to stop at that point. Once the word got out, um, people found out about it and clamored for the sauce. Even I mean, I'm talking about people in the villages nearby, just up the coast a little bit. The sauce is called colatura di alici, and that's uh, basically a, a sauce of anchovies. But, of course, it's named colatura di alici di Cetara, the name of the town. And it went from being a very local product to becoming a widely saleable commodity. And now it's become the center of upheaval in that little town of Chitara of just a couple thousand people. Well, what exactly is it, and why all the commotion? Well, my guest today 
Claire Alsop, made it her, her, what do you call it? It was her desire to find out all about this sauce and all about the, what's going on in the town and the fury that's come up. She has made several pilgrimages to Chitara to get to the roots of both the source of the sauce and the turbulence in this small Italian village. Claire is a food scholar and a graduate of the NYU Food Studies Program. She's involved in researching foodways and food products and educating people about them. And just a few years ago, Claire was an intern here at Heritage Radio Network, developing her interests in food studies. Welcome, Claire. It's a pleasure to have you back, or I should say welcome back. (laughs) Hi, Linda. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Well, you gave a presentation not long ago to the culinary historians of New York, and and I felt this was really a story that that had a wider interest, and we had to I had to put it on the radio. <laughs> what I want to know though is how in the world did you become interested and focused on this little esoteric product <laughs> in this tiny little village? Well, it's a very good question. Um, sometimes I ask myself the same thing. Um, but it really seemed like Colatore de Lici found me in many ways. Um, I've always sort of been a scholar and um, interested in Italian culture and cuisine. Um, and it was around 2014, I remember, that I first discovered Colatore de Lici. I was spending time in Italy and was walking the streets of Naples and popped into one of the millions of specialty food stores. And um, I saw this little golden bottle in this beautiful sort of twisty shape. Tiny. Tiny little bottle, yes, with a little amber liquid inside. And I noticed it said Colatura di Alici. And, you know, Alici anchovy is one of my favorite foods already. So I was so intrigued and, you know, was very familiar with uh, fish sauces from Southeast Asia, but I had never heard of, seen, or even thought of um, a fish sauce from Italy. So I was immediately intrigued, brought the bottle home, um, and started just sort of casually researching this. I remember, I think the first article I found was something like published by NPR's The Salt and sort of talked about garum and then mentioned at the end that there was this uh, this current iteration of fish sauce uh, in Italy, Colatura. And Pretty much it never left my mind after that. Uh, You know, I moved to New York. I was living in New Orleans uh, at the time. I moved to New York, started my master's in food studies. um, And then it was in my food history course um, that I was, I knew I was going to research Colatura di Lici and try to discover what the link was between garum and Colatura, if there was one, because I I just didn't know. Um, And... And so from that, you know, my, my interest was piqued. I was researching ancient Roman fish sauce, modern day Italian fish sauce. Um, and then it brought me to my master's thesis eventually, which focused in on colatura in its modern iteration. Um, and as you said, sort of what's happened in the past 20 years with colatura di Alici, right. which was previously pretty much unknown outside of the town. And so I was curious what happened. Right. Well, and I and I've done at least one show on garum. Um, obviously, I have to ancient yes. Rome, to about, <laughs> which is a fish sauce. So that so that brings me to my next question for you, for our listeners, that you, is to explain what 
coloratura di alici is, specifically how it's produced, and how it's different. Start out first, how it is different from garum, which a lot of people know as liquamen or garum, which is the ancient Roman fish sauce. And we have a lot of iterations of that in today's market, as you mentioned, the, the Southeast Asian fish sauce. But talk about colatura. So, um, so as you know, uh, garum is, so just to you know, briefly mention, garum is made from fermenting whole anchovies or other small fish and large fish with guts included, entire animals. Just dump the whole thing Just in Just dump there. the whole thing <laughs> in, and it's the um, microbes within the guts and the blood that really sparks that fermentation and gives you a really particular, I think, funky flavor. Mm-hmm. Not to say I've never actually tried ancient garum, so I'm not sure. But I, I have. Well, not, not or, ancient, but I, you know, modern, yeah. modern day, you know, techniques of producing it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> funky is fun- funky, yeah, right? <laughs> um, and so then colatura, on the other hand, is actually just a byproduct of salted anchovy production. So anything you would do to salt anchovies, the tins that you buy at the store that are all over, um, it's just the liquid that is drained um, from the fermentation and preservation process of salted anchovies. So they're actually um, headed and gutted. Um, sort of one quick twist and snap motion, pull the whole guts out, and it those fillets, or you know, they're, they're whole but uh, gutted, are just layered with salt. And so it's the liquid from that fermentation, which does not contain the guts and blood, um, or not as much blood anyway, is what colatura um, is made from. And it is just the process of fermenting the salt and anchovies that, you know, over time, as the anchovies start to break down, a liquid forms. And um, colatura really literally means drippings. Um, So the verb colare is dripping or to strain. Um, And so the process goes that at the end of the anchovy salting process, people would drill a tiny hole in the bottom of their wooden barrels and allow the liquid to drain back through the anchovies and the liquid they collect at the bottom is the colatura. So this is a very long, intense process, a lot of waiting. Yes. And the yield is uh, is very, very small. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, traditional colatura di alici production, it was mostly made in the homes because fisher, you know, in the town of Chattara, almost everyone is a fisherman or related to a fisherman. Um, and so families would create, you know, make their own small barrels to ferment throughout the summer, to age throughout the summer, um, to be ready to eat in the wintertime. Um, anchovies are at their ripest and largest in the early months of summer and late spring. So that's when they would want to go fishing for those perfect, big, juicy anchovies. Um, and then it's a waiting game for anywhere between six and six and nine months until your anchovies were ready. I always um, heard it was around Christmas time. Christmas, they'd have it ready for Christmas, right? Yes. <laughs> so traditionally, colatura di alici was actually a Christmas gift. So um, when you, the anchovies were ready to you know, put into individual jars or, or take the liquid out, um, they would, that's when the straining would begin. It was actually right around um, the beginning of December, they would drill the, the little holes in the bottom of the barrel and they would be fully collected. It takes about a week for the draining to occur. Um, and they would collect all of the liquid 
and and bottle or you know uh, wrap it up and give it as gifts to family members and friends. But it was also used um, as sort of a debt recovery system. So if you owed money to your lawyer or your doctor in town who was not fortunate enough to be a fisherman and make their own colatura, you could give those give colatura di alici as a gift to. Um, to cover any debt. debt, to pay off any <laughs> debt that you had outstanding from the year. And, and, how did, and see, how did they fix a value on that? That's already been established, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, it's funny because it, even in today today's market, it's it's a very precious liquid. You're talking about two th- sold in two and three ounce little bottles for, you know, upwards of $25. Yes. So. You know, in the U.S., it's about $25 for, for a small three ounce bottle. Yeah. And um, so today it is, um, should I go into what the, the product sort of looks like today now? Um, yeah, sure. We'll, okay. go, we'll go back yeah. and forth. We'll come back Great. to it because I want to talk about the, t- well, you know what I want to talk about really first yeah. is tell me about this, you know, why Chitara? Tell me about the town of Chitara. And and if anyone, I'm, I'm sure many people are familiar with the Amalfi Coast today, it is, I mean, anchovies are, are everywhere. Everyone, you know, every restaurant serves a, you know, a wonderful dish of marinated anchovies, fresh anchovies, any kind of anchovies. Why Chitara? What is, what is it about this town? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Chitara is a very interesting place. Um, the Amalfi Coast is known today as a town of, you know, beauty, luxury, tourism, um, some, you know, outdoor hiking, yachting, boating. It is all of those things. But Chitara has not really gotten in on any of that um, and is very different. They self-describe as as being different from the rest of the Amalfi Coast. You mean Coast. like they're, they're still back in the 15th century or something? So, <laughs> no. So... Um, the town was founded um, by Muslims in around the 9th century, whereas the rest of the Amalfi Coast was, um, it seems, an ancient Roman vacation spot. It was where Roman emperors would go on vacation the same way that, you know, the fabulous go on vacation on Amalfi and Capri today. Right. Um, but because... The Etruscans and, the, and then the... Yes. Watching out for the Phoenicians and then, the, you know, the Romans. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. It's an you know, ancient uh, getaway already uh, during the Roman Empire. And, um, and Chitara, however, was not inhabited at that time. Chitara, um, for sort of a geographical location, is the last town on the Amalfi Coast before you sort of enter. Um, there's... Chatara, and then there is Vietri sul mare, and then you're in Salerno. So you're no longer on the Amalfi Coast. So it's sort of the tail end of that rugged, majestic beauty. You still have it, but it's not an outcropping. It's actually recessed a little bit into mm. the um, into the uh, shore. And it, for that reason, it was always an unsafe place because you couldn't see ships and boats and attackers coming from the Mediterranean. You could only see south towards Sicily from with from the shores of Chitara. <laughs> you could not see out west into the Tyrrhenian and Mediterranean Sea. So um, from the early years of Chitara's founding, um, it was a very unsafe place. It was constantly under attack and ransacked and um, during warring factions of, you know, pre-Amalfi um, empire were always trying to take over Chitara as it was sort of the last post into the mainland. Um, and 
for that reason, um, Chattereze still to this day describe it as being a closed town, whereas the rest of the Amalfi Coast is known for being very open and very friendly and welcoming of tourism. Um, the Chattereze still, I think the, the history of their town, it, to an incredible degree, is still very much in their minds today. Hmm. Um, and when I was interviewing people in Chattara, they would tell me, we are a closed town because of all of the wars and things that went on in our village for centuries. Um, and so around the 12th century, um, a monastery came in the mountains up in the hills above Chitara, a little bit safer distance from uh, the unsafe shores of Chitara, and um, came to rule over the town um, and protect them from attacks. And, you know, with the money of the Roman, the, you know, not much money, but the middle medieval uh, um, monasteries would protect the town from attacks. And in return, this town would give anchovies and salted anchovies as a payment to the monastery. <laughs> um, so from, from that, there's sort of multiple reasons why Chitara is sort of special and different on the Amalfi Coast. First was its sort of perilous geographical region, right. um, which... Put it uh, sort of imposed a, a a sense of closed being closed off and fearful of outsiders, um, and then another reason is it has always been known, as far as I can tell, as the ultimate fishing village within the Amalfi Coast. While the fleet of Amalfi was um, during the 14th century one of the most um, incredible fishing fleets and in the world. Um, with the fall of the Amalfi Empire, that fell, and Chitara's um, fishing prowess never faltered throughout the centuries, um, to the point that um, when the French were ruling Algeria in the 19th century, they went to Chitara and incentivized Chetereze fishermen to move in droves to Algeria to... To fish their shores. To fish their shores, huh. to set up tuna um, processing facilities. And and to this day, there's facilities and there's a Chetareze cultural um, aspect in certain towns in Algeria and now in France as well. Wow. So. It's, it's amazing because when you look at um, photographs of, of the little coastline there of Chitara, I mean, the, the boats, they're not just there for tourist attractions and the and the pretty little you know blue wooden fisherman boats i mean those are those boats are active and in use right yes yeah, yeah. the fishing fleet not is not the big hotels that sit right on the coast you know yeah there there is very little tourism to speak of in chitara to this day there is one hotel that sits sort of on the edge of town um, and when i was there in 2017 they were in the middle of building another hotel <laughs> um which was not a five-star hotel, by the way. It was a pretty modest, um, seemed like it would be great when it was up and running, but not, um, you know, on par with... Not luxury. Not a luxury, not a luxury resort <laughs> by any means. Um, so it's still very much a, a fishing town. And um, in fact, there are, the tuna fishing um, fleet of the EU has, um, from when I was there, from 2017, had 16 um, boats that were sanctioned to fish bluefin tuna, within the Mediterranean and four of those 16 boats are From docked Chitara? in Chitara. Wow. 
that, and for um, such a small and and then and the number of inhabitants, it's the population's still only a little over two thousand. Exactly. Right? Wow. Yep. That's, so that speaks loud and clear. Yes, they're they're incredible fishermen from centuries, and uh, and the well, word got out. I mean, I you know the couple times that I had been traveling and and visiting the Amalfi Coast. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I would. I knew I rode right past it. Never bothered to stop. It wasn't on my radar, and as I say, it was familiar with Colatura after the word got out in the '90s, and I was seeking all kinds of interesting little umami. It is very umami flavored. I mean, it's the it's the you know the essence of anchovies. Absolutely. So word got out. People, I'm sure, just even in the immediate community, you know, towns north and south wanted it and other people wanted it so what i mean yet everyone's colatura there was all made in the homes it had to each be a little bit different someone used more salt someone used less salt you know hers is you know is not as fermented and right uh, so what's all the fuss so yeah until about 1993 um Pretty much nobody knew of Colatura outside of Chatara. Um, you had to know somebody within the town to have ever tasted it, essentially, because there were no tops to the bottles. If you put it in a <laughs> bottle, it was put in your old, you know, glass, wine glass, or, you know, a juice bottle that you had on hand. Um, there were no, you know, it was it was a byproduct, and it was made in the homes. Um, and there are plenty of people I spoke to from Amalfi, from Positano, from Salerno, who said that they they would have never cooked with it 20 years ago or 30 years ago because they didn't know about it. Chefs in Positano said, oh, well, I don't cook with that. That's not from here, even though it's from 30 kilometers down the road. Right. Um, so in the 1990s, it was um, actually a lawyer who lived in town named Constantino Montesanto um, who essentially started the craze. He came to all of the anchovy producers in the town, the processing facilities, which were already in place, and most of them um, incorporated right after World War II. Um, also, they did have, they did have in, not industrialized, but they did have production centers for the yes. town. Yes. So mm-hmm. because it's a town of fishermen, you know, not a lot of tourism, but they're fishing anchovies, and there was some production of um, canned anchovies, and canned tuna fish, um, other small fish. So pr- tuna and small fish processing facilities within Chatara, and then also in the you know nearby radius in the hills around Salerno um, that use the port of Chatara as their um, fishing area. And Costantino brought these processors together with local chefs in town because despite not really having much of a um, presence of tourism, there has always been a bit of that um, glow from the Amalfi Coast. There are some incredible restaurants, and you know, if you're particularly attuned to your Amalfi Coast travel, you may have you know been staying in Amalfi, but spent a day in Chitara and gone to enjoy the the fruits of some of these incredible restaurants. Um, so he brought together chefs and local processors as well as um, local government. And, and presented this idea. He saw, you know, a changing world around him in the 90s. Um, the tourism on the Amalfi Coast was really taking off. And it 
the barriers to get there cost-wise were coming down. So more people coming in droves from the U.S. Um, and elsewhere. And elsewhere, yeah. yes. Um, and um, then ideas of you know slow food was really just coming out into the world. And uh, Carlo Petrini was you know hailing. Um, regional food, slow food production methods, local products, local <laughs> products, um, and and the idea of you know Italy as a global export, Italian high end cuisine as a global export was taking off in part because of that. Um, and so Costantino brought everyone together and said, "We are sitting essentially on a gold mine here. This is an incredible local product that we have been making in this town for centuries. Um, you know since we." paid the Badia di Cava monastery in the 12th century in fish, and they saw what how delicious the liquid was that came out the bottom. Right. Okay, um, we're not going to tell everyone what the reaction was until we come back from a really short break. I'm going to leave everybody on that suspenseful right. note. Okay. He presented the plan, a pot of gold. What was their reaction? Stay tuned. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kotbalk Cave-Age cheeses, Appenzeller, Tete de Moine, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. I'm Damon Bolte. And I'm Souther Teague. Together we host The Speakeasy, a show where we discuss cocktails, spirits, wine, beer, tea, coffee, and all things in liquid universe. Yeah, our guests range from bartenders and brewers, alchemists and ambassadors, roasters and regulars, hippies and home brewers, and every expert enthusiast in between. <laughs> Browse episodes of The Speakeasy wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, we are back, and I'm talking with Claire Alsup about Colatura di Alici di Cetara. And Claire, you just left us hanging on a limb. Cosentino Cosentino came and presented this wonderful idea to make everybody wealthy, and? And, uh, you know, I think that was the moment where everyone... You know, from from the many interviews I had with people that were involved on the ground at those meetings, um, it was actually the uh, inaugural Colatura di Alici convention of 1993 where he presented this idea. <laughs> um, people got behind it. Some people sort of thought it was crazy and, and didn't see how um, a byproduct of salted anchovies could ever be bottled and sold. Um, those little drip, those little, little drops yes. of of liquid gold, or actually am, liquid amber. Yes, yeah. and you know, one twenty five kilo um, barrel of anchovies might yield you uh, five cups of liquid. 
25 kilos to five cups is like it's like, like making maple syrup, I guess. Yes. But even even but more, but but much more time. It um it requires much more time. Yes, yeah. and and labor and um and so there there it wasn't clear what the path was, but it was met with sort of a warm reception, especially from the chefs in the town. And I think um, the chefs in Chitara, who are still the same chefs that were operating all of the restaurants in 1993 for the most part, um, the major ones anyway, are really to thank for introducing it outside of the homes um, and sort of testing the idea. Um, One really interesting thing that all of the chefs who were behind it um, had in common is they had all spent time outside of Chitara. And I think having either gone to culinary school or cooked in some of the, you know, in Milan and Paris outside of um, this very hyper-regional local area, um, they realized how incredible some of these products were, that it almost takes leaving to come back and appreciate it. Right. Um, And so there were a few chefs who first started just making it themselves in their kitchen, um, you know, trying to get a barrel and um, and start start doing the the process of making colatura for for the menus um, and that was how it first started um, being introduced to you know the occasional day tripper from Amalfi um, and um, slowly through that the the volume became greater there became some demand and um, the processing facilities the fish processing facilities started actually doing the, the colatura processing and collecting on behalf of the restaurants. Mm. And then through that sort of slow process, they saw um, excitement and demand. And um, and now when you walk through the town, almost every single shop up and down the one main street of Chitara is a uh, anchovy specialty store with colatura <laughs> di Alici as its star. Yes, I saw on their... On their um um, their canopies over the front of the store. They'll make sure that they, you know, they have it printed with colatura di alici di Absolutely. Uh, because they can, because they're in Chitara. Yes. Um, back to the production, I'm sure because this was a, a, a do-it-yourself homebrew kind of product, that it wasn't always, I mean, it, yes, back in, in the 13th century and the, and the 15th century, primarily, I guess, what the priests and the nun, or the monasteries and convents. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look up and down the Amalfi Coast, they're all they're all dotted with convents and 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 monasteries. Yeah. Now, most of them turned into hotels, but <laughs> but I can see that 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 was the production uh, place for all this. And yes, barrels were the were what they had, but then. You know, the modern era came along, and I'm sure there were a lot of plastic tubs and glass jars and other things used. What was, what about sort of codifying the method of production? And is there one that is considered the essence of the sauce? Right. So you hit the nail on the head that, you know, in the 20th century, things changed. Production methods changed, um, you know. Oak barrels are very expensive, and there used to be people in Chitara who made oak barrels specifically for anchovy aging. There are none left. Hmm. Um, and because the demand disappeared in the 20th century, you could buy large plastic tubs and glass bottles for much cheaper. 
It's much more economical. Um, and so people, so the production method of colatura of, of, over the ages has obviously changed and morphed with the times as, as it does. Um, and so there are a few different sort of strains that I tried to um, suss out in my research to see um, sort of why there was all this upheaval and debate um, going on about Colatura di Alici production, which there was and currently is in the town to, di- to this day. Um, because as soon as people started to realize they could bottle and sell this product, they're going to start fighting over you know, how to make it, how best to make it, how to get the most money for it, what is the true colatura, um, all these issues of authenticity and ownership and tradition. Um, So um, once it started to take off in the early 2000s, um, different processing facilities would use and take, you know, examples from different points along the the colatura di Alici production method timeline, as it were. so the traditional version, as I mentioned, is um, oak barrels, Slavonian oak barrels now, um, that are aged for anywhere between six months and, and two years. Um, and then uh, the vriale is the dialect for the little screw that's used mm-hmm. to um, screw the hole. And then in this method... Um, people say it's very important that you not just sort of tip the liquid off the top. It has to settle, to the settle right. strain back through. So you're picking up all the extra umami flavor on your way back <laughs> down. Um, and then in the, you know, in the 20th century, homemakers, um, you know, fishermen, fishermen's wives and families um, started a different method where they realized how delicious colatura was and they would salt their anchovies with the intention of both having salted anchovies at Christmas, and of getting as much colatura as they could because they loved it. Um, So initially, after um, fishing for anchovies, when you bring them in first thing in the morning, the fishermen would throw them in a bucket just with some salt loosely thrown over it. No specific method. Um, And 24 hours like that will leach out a ton of liquid um, and sort of dry out and get the anchovies ready and prepared to be layered and in their salting container. Um, and so homemakers started saving that liquid. Mm. And that's called zuzzo. That's another dialect little term, sort of juice, So it's just the, just the, the seawater, watery juice that yep, the first salt comes out of ex- cleaning it. Yeah. Exactly. Extract a little bit of that sort of liquid and fat from the anchovies right away. And they, start, they would keep that in a separate barrel... And let it soak in the, you know, sit in the sun alongside their anchovies layered in salt. Hmm. And then around July or August, um, you know, I spent time speaking with a lot of old fishermen who make it in their homes in this method, um, you know, sometimes on the rooftops of their houses. Um, And one uh, retired fisherman in particular showed me what he would do in when I was there in August is... um, the anchovies that are layered in in the salt are starting to show a few inches of liquid on the top. He would skim that off and add it to the zuzzo to bulk up the volume and let it, again, keep fermenting in the sun. Hmm. His thinking is that um, with a you know, plastic bag essentially covering the top so it doesn't all evaporate. Um, 
And so the thinking for that was, you know, more volumes, better. We, it's delicious. So more, right? we, we want more of it. Um, and so as you know that and those are sort of the two strains of home production methods um then he would add it to the or they those who did it would then add it to the 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 little drips that would be that accumulate underneath the barrel by the end so so then um in this sort of 20th century method um he's got an extra barrel of salty fish liquid on the side he has salted anchovies in a plastic tub next to them and then around Christmas time, he would take out whichever anchovies that he wanted to reserve to eat as salted anchovies. Um, and the remains, all the sort of like guts and little bits and parts that have fallen to the wayside, they would blend together with that reserved liquid to again and then filter it through a um, pillowcase. And so rather than having it drip back through an old oak barrel over a couple of weeks and over the anchovies themselves through a tiny, tiny hole, they blend it all together. I would I called it frullare e colare, so blend and strain. Um, they would blend it all together and literally sew together a pillowcase into a V-shape. They call them the capucho, so a little, like a, a little hat. And and strain it in that method, so that's the the colatura you now have. You know that's the typical production method to this day made in homes. And so as these processing facilities are starting to make colatura, they have to decide how they're going to produce it, how they're going to market it, and you know what is the what makes the most sense? Is it volume? Is it storytelling? Um, is it preserving the ancient methods of the 1600s or preserving the methods of, you know, uh, sort of creative homemakers in the 20th century, which is also interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and further, um, in the processing facilities, they're concurrently salting anchovies for salted anchovy production. Without, yeah, without letting them settle. Yeah, the ones you can right. buy in jars, whether they're packed in oil or pa or salted or, yeah, there's, exactly. there's that whole, that's that whole industry that's continuing. So, so that whole industry is going on, you know, side by side with the building of a Colatura di Alici market and processing. Um, so they had to, you know, regular salted anchovies today are usually only salted for about three months before they're jarred or, you know, packed in oil or whatever right. it is. Um but there is some liquid that, you know, comes out of that salting after three months. Why don't you just throw that in? Don't throw it away. <laughs> throw it away. <laughs> so some people started doing that. And, and then other producers are saying, you're cutting corners. This isn't traditional. And, and the real issue is, you know, for the consumer, no one knows what's going on behind these doors. No you're one... not diluting the product with something that's not um, – part of the original product i mean it's it's salt and anchovies exactly so you're not adding anything different right? no it's not adding anything different it's just um you know a lot of these sort of colatura purists were coming out saying no this for the best product and for the best taste and for the best story we should be only adhering to the production methods that you know were sort of set forth you know it should be dripped centuries in ago <laughs> yeah it should be it should be a barrel it should mm -hmm. be dripped and we shouldn't be allowed to add 
you know, liquid that's only been aged for three months because it's a different fermentation. And is was this the then the beginning of the formation of the friends of anchovies or the amici dialici? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so um, a few years after the production started, an association formed called exactly that amici dialici, which that. is <laughs> yes, my favorite organization title, friends of the anchovies, <laughs> um, and it was founded by all the, you know different producers chefs and um, sort of the local better, better Business Bureau and local officials um, with the um, mutual understanding that they had to come to some agreement, that they had to, to make this product both delicious and a story that will sell and to sort of valorize their town in an appropriate way, um, they had to decide what Colatura di Alici was going to be, essentially. Um, and it hadn't been codified in any way. So um, it started first with slow food coming in and, and trying to sort of suss out what the product, the traditional production method was um, and giving that, that production method a presidia title, slow food presidia, um, traditional origin right. and production method and style. <clears throat> um, and then when I was there in 2017, they were in the middle of putting together an application for a designation of protected origin. So it's like the wine and the, and the oil and everything that gets a, a DOP, right? Exactly. Um, which is so interesting because, you know, these production methods weren't codified. There wasn't one method that everybody in the homes followed that that was sort of an easy path to, to explaining what uh, you know, the correct colatura di alici di chatara should be, should look like. So in some ways they were inventing an ancient, <laughs> there, it was an ancient method that they had to sort of invent a code for and a path for. Um, well, I mean, I can understand that there could be an adulteration process of people, you know, over in some other country and other and up and down the coast or elsewhere who just take shortcuts and dilute it with, a more of a, a garum type thing, add other fish to it, not just purely anchovies. Yeah. So you have to have some de some designation, some rules, right? Yeah, absolutely. If you want, if you want to taste the original product. Right, if you want to know what, yeah. what the original product was, absolutely, and, and to protect, you know, this is a tradition from this particular town. Now there are Colatura di Alici's popping up, you know, all over from Calabria, Sicily, Spain. Liguria, Spain, um, France. Anywhere I, they have anchovies. I mean, yeah, you know. absolutely. I um, I had a great conversation with Ortiz, the Spanish uh, tinned anchovy yeah. people recently, and they were looking into it. So, <laughs> and, and it makes sense. You should. It's delicious. Why yeah, not? Yeah. Um, but I think the other, so, so the idea of protecting, you know, this is where the origin, this is where it comes from. Um, and because the incentive to make money off of it is so great, there are processors that see, um, you know, why not just import some anchovies from elsewhere when there are no anchovies in season on the Amalfi Coast, there are no anchovies nearby. Why not just, you know? Well, that whole discussion brings into it a larger discussion, and that is, okay, you're going to start producing this stuff for the mass market, large production and there and currently there are uh three to five major sellers from chitara right that yes there's a question of sustainability 
Right. As you said, the anchovies aren't in season. Tell me about, you know, the they, as it is, the fishing and 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 the the, the lack of anchovies during off season. Right. So so I think, you know, my I, I love Colatura di Alici. I'm so glad that it's out there and people can enjoy it and, and um, taste it here in the U.S. and you don't have to go to Chitara to try it. Um, but I think the my takeaway from all of my research was, um, you know, trying to codify this this fish sauce is is a it's a valid effort yeah. to you know save this tradition. But in the making of a commodity out of a byproduct, you are introducing an entirely new market for anchovies. And when you are fishing for anchovies normally, for salted anchovy, for fresh anchovies along the Amalfi Coast, there's a certain size they must be. They must be, you know, at least four inches long to be worthwhile to fish because otherwise you won't get any money for them. The chefs don't want them. They're too small to salt and sell. Um, And so on nights when you would go out fishing and see only tiny anchovies in the water, you'd turn right around and go back. Those anchovies need to grow. Those anchovies are supporting an entire food system, and they're, they're too small to be fished for. Now there is an explicit incentive to fish for small anchovies, because... The, an- the Colatura di Alici producers, processors, don't want to spend the money on large anchovies because it takes so many anchovies to make a small amount of colatura. And even more using small anchovies, right? Right. So there is an explicit incentive to fish for small anchovies so they can get a large volume of young small anchovies um, in bulk. And, you know, this bodes terribly for the sustainability of anchovy fishing in the Mediterranean, which is already, um, you know, according to the Monterey Bay Aquarium, anchovy fishing in the Mediterranean on every region of the Mediterranean has a 1.9 sustainability rating out of 10, which is a full-on avoid should not be fishing for. We're going to run out of anchovies is what you're saying. And and that's a fish that sustained... Millennia, certainly centuries of people during famines. I mean, they Absolutely. they always had anchovies. Yes. Okay, so we have to we have to put some put some controls on that, right? Right. And so creating the export market is is um, a really dangerous thing to do, and and the DOP will only further that export market. Is the town concerned about that? And are there um, are there are they listening? Are people listening? Is it um, in my experience, no, they're not that concerned. Hmm. I, you know, we would, I would bring it up. Um, but in the same way that they think that the restrictions on bluefin tuna fishing are uh, absurd. Yeah. They just don't see it. They're, they're fishermen. This is their job. They're processors. Um, well, then of course, when the, when the, market gets saturated with too many producers of colatura and the price goes down they that's sort of an automatic control right there yes yeah oh it's such an interesting story and so many so many different um 
roads to be crossed before the story is finished. Absolutely. But before we go, we've talked all about <laughs> the essence of this fish and the process of making it. Let's talk about what do you do with it? How is it used? How do people enjoy the tastes of it? That's my favorite question. Uh, <laughs> so the traditional use, the most traditional dish is a super simple spaghetti, which traditionally was always eaten on Christmas Eve when the, the fish sauce colatura is ready to eat. Um, and it is simply, you know, a local spaghetti with thinly sliced raw garlic, fresh parsley, chili flake, olive oil, and one uh, tablespoon of colatura di alici per person. And, and even that's a lot. I mean, because I've made it, I know. And until you, you know, build up that, that taste for it, and it is a very pungent flavor. I mean, you know, I, I've cut it down to, you know, a, tab- a teaspoon or two per person, and that was a lot for people. So, you know, that's it. You can see that that little bottle doesn't go very far. It doesn't go very yeah. far, even if you're only doing a teaspoon per person. Yeah. Um, but it's very delicious. And um, the key to that pasta for its intensity is to never salt your pasta water, which goes against Absolutely. all rules of pasta making. <laughs> yeah, it's but a, in, this, in this instance... <laughs> you, you really don't want to salt your pasta because no. it is a very salty sauce. Just putting a little bit on your finger and tasting it, and you, you first thing you taste is salt, and then you get the funkiness. You know, right, the, exactly. The, but, I mean, it's great. Um, I've also added it to like a, a, you know, a pot of, of some quick cooking tomato sauce just at the end and mm. add a little in. It just gives that deep a little deeper flavor yes, to the, a so just as, umami flavor just as i would you know melt a few anchovies in the in the oil as i was sauteing onions yep. i would instead at the end i would put you know a couple teaspoons of the colatura in yeah and i still do not did but i still do <laughs> uh, all kinds of uses you can uh, for it i mean yeah so um uh, one thing that you, you're mentioning is like at the very end, it's never to be used while you're cooking because you, you don't cook, cook out the flavor. Right. Um, so it's always added at the end. Um, a couple of great recipes and, and ways to use it that I found and loved in Chitara was one was with a simply sort of boiled sautéed escarole, mm. um, a little raisin or pine nut in there, and finish it off with some colatura. Um, and another dish that I love, um, it's so simple, it's just boiled potatoes with colatura and garlic and lemon, um, thinly sliced. There was one restaurant in Chitara that, that had it on the menu. I think most of the other ones thought it was too boring of a dish, <laughs> but it's so delicious. Um, so it's it's really, yeah, anywhere you would use salt, anywhere you would food. use anchovies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Salty and, oh. and, you know. And, and There's one restaurant that's actually a town over this little tiny inlet. It's not even really a town called Erkie. Um, that where there's a, a beach bar owned by a couple of restaurateurs from Chitara, and they do a colatura di alici martini. Woo. Now that is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of applications yes. for this delicious, <laughs> the delicious. It's very clear, very, very um, dark, yes. ambery. Yeah, and little little bottles, little tiny bottles. You know, you don't. You have to go to a gourmet shop to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, mail order uh, gourmet sites have it, mm-hmm. um, and there. Are, I mean, yeah, there are nuances. I've tasted some that are a little funkier than others, but um, 
but basically you're, you're all you're getting that flavor that yeah you get the umami. the similar flavor the stuff you can find here in the u.s uh one is the aquapazza brand mm-hmm. which was actually founded by two chefs of a restaurant called aquapazza um and they used to work with one of the local processors and were having trouble figuring out what their idea of the true colatura was so they started Making it themselves. Um, Aren't they the ones that sell it with an eyedropper? Yes, yeah. they sell it with an eyedropper. See, it's so precious. You have to apply it with an eyedropper. Exactly. Um, that one you can find at Buona Italia and Chelsea Market. Um, and then there's Natuno, which is the only one that's still producing, you know, doing their barrels and aging um, within the town of Chitara itself. The ancient method. Yes. yes. Um, and they are available through Gustiamo. Um, and then there's a brand you can find at Italy as well. They may have multiple brands now. Italy has sure. a couple brands. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, Monacaretti.com, Gustiamo.com, and then gourmet stores, if you yeah. look at their at their websites, you know, yeah. the Dina De Luca, I think. I'm sure maybe, they have yeah, it, yeah. Places yeah. like that. So if we have whetted your appetite for <laughs> Colatura di Alici, um, you know, just do a search, and yeah. I'm sure you'll find it. And... Claire, you are just a font of knowledge about everything fishy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And thank you so much for joining me. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, And thank you for listening. Again, this has been another Taste of the Past. A Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage. Thanks for listening to the Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fair, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.